All right, everyone, and welcome back to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here, our first one of June in 2021. Um, last week was a lot more optimistic on uh, on the podcast. I, I, I'm sorry. We're going to have to take a little bit of a tone down. Um, and don't get mad at me. Get mad at, uh, get mad at Minnesota Sports uh, because we sign ourselves up for this every single time. So, all right, uh, kind of diving in here to um, kind of the stuff that's going on in the last week. Well, what, let's uh, let's start out with the Wild here because they had the game seven going on, and we're gonna do a little bit more of a deep dive into this uh, coming up soon, um, just to give you a little sneak peek. So just kind of uh, hang tight. We'll have a full looking. I'm planning on doing a full episode breaking down kind of the Wild season and the expectations and kind of what we want to see from them uh, in the future. But I'm just gonna give you kind of the Cliff Notes version. Um, so obviously. Uh, last Friday they played Game Seven against Vegas. They got smacked. It was like six to two, um, and the Wild hung with them for the first half of the game, and then Vegas just kind of—I I don't know what other way to put it other than punched him in the face, and then basically the Wild couldn't retaliate. So um, almost literally, uh, if you want to take a shot at the refing uh, in the series, but uh, you know, I, I will say though, I like I was kind of just talking about last week. The Wild were playing with house money. They they weren't. Again, them winning Game 7 was kind of a cherry on top, but it wasn't, you know, the thing that would define their season. What defined their season, I think, was Game 6 and the fact that they fought back. And you could even say Game 5. Um, the fact that they were able to take this series to seven games shows that, the I mean, past Wild teams would have laid down and died after they were down 3-1. So for the Wild to at least force it to a Game 7 um, shows a little bit uh, kind of more about how this team's a little bit different. Um, coincidentally, when Parisi stepped in is also when the Wild started to play better. But, uh, you know, again, these are deeper conversations for another podcast. But, uh, you know, I'm not disappointed, um, you know, with this. But next year I will be. And just to kind of say the basic gist of it is, okay, yeah, the Wild, they had a first-round playoff exit. They fought one of the best teams in the NHL. I mean, this Colorado-Vegas series, whoever wins this series is going to be the front runner for the Stanley Cup. Um, this is the series everybody's been waiting for all year long. Um, so for the Wild to take it to seven games, for them to play them as tough as they did, um, is a you know for the obviously the Knights are in a much different spot than the Wild. The Knights are in the middle of a championship window where the Wild are you know just about to enter one. Um, so this is kind of that you know you get your playoff footing, you get kind of that experience, and now you're expected to do that. You're not expected to do that again next year. If you're the Wild and you have another first-round playoff exit, doesn't matter You know if you're going into seven games, doesn't matter if you're playing the best team in the NHL, you should be at least expected to try and make something of it. I mean, to try and win because you're entering your championship window now. Um, and so, you know, this is a good building block, but we can't, you know, everybody's feeling pretty good about this. But now, you know, as the season goes into next year and as we look at this, the Wild having a first-round playoff exit won't have the same kind of warm reception as it does next season. And that's a good thing. It, it means that there is promise, and there's a lot of it. Now, they got some stuff they got to work out. Uh, Kaprizov, Fiala, Greenway, Eric Sinek, uh, they're all going to be restricted free agents, um, you know, coming into this season. So they got to work out some contracts. There's obviously some other guys who are going to be free agents. And again, we'll, we'll break all this down, but they have some contracts they need to work out. So Gurin and uh, never pronounce his name right. And uh, Evson got some work to do, kind of on putting the roster together. Um, and it could look like a very different team come next season. 
But uh, the biggest thing that they just have to do is they have a bright future, especially with Kaprizov, uh, Eriksson, Fiala, you know, all those guys. There's a good young core there. Um, there's still some guys from the old guard that can bring that good veteran presence, um, you know, but now you can also kind of reload um, with Matt Boldy, who was down in Iowa for the second half of the season. Um you have Kaprizov, you have Eriksenak, you have the veteran presence of Talbot, you have two first-rounders. Um, so there's the Wild have a future here. They have a lot of room that they can kind of work with here. Um, so they need to build around these young players. It could look a little bit different. Maybe Parisi's not on the team. Maybe he still comes back. Maybe the, he's not willing to be traded yet in the Wild. They're still going to have to eat that contract. Um, but the way he played in the end of the playoffs, I mean, I don't know if that's Good news in terms of now you have some kind of market, you have some kind of uh, value in Parisi to try and get some kind of a trade through. Um, or if, you know, the, the Wild will say, okay, well, maybe we got something here for Parisi in like a, in like a third or fourth line kind of role. Um, who knows? But, uh, you know, basically build around these young players um, and just get some kind of sign some veterans, get that kind of worked out. Um, you know, obviously center, they kind of need to figure out, they have some other stuff that they, uh, you know, some positions that weren't perfect, but they have a chance to kind of kink out those flaws and come into the season strong. I mean, this wild team should be expected to be one of the better teams in the NHL next season. Now I'm not going to say Vegas or Colorado level of you should win the cup or bust, but it should be a deep playoff run or bust next season. The wild don't need to win the cup for expectations to be to be good or for us to not be frustrated with the season's end. They need to win a playoff series next year. I think that's the goal. Win one, two would be great. Uh, Stanley Cup would be, again, what everybody's hoping for. But, you know, it, it's just kind of going down that road. The Wild need to – they ha the future's bright. And with them and the Timberwolves, um, I would say the Wild's future is brighter because they actually make the playoffs. And, you know, as um, – trying to find the word – irrelevant as it can be sometimes – uh, the Wild are still uh, a better run organization than the Timberwolves by miles. Um, the Wolves are such an inept organization that, uh, you know, that basically until they – I've said this before with the Cleveland Browns and the NFL. You do not get the benefit of the doubt anymore. You don't get like, you know, the Wild. It's like, oh, they got some young players. They can build off this. They can work. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they can figure this out and put a good team on the ice. The Wolves, you have Cat. You have Ant, you have D'Lo, you have Finch with at head coach now. It looks like they're kind of gelling together. They have a whole off season, and a normal person would look at that and say, you know, in any other team, and be like, oh, well, that's going to be pretty good. They got a pretty good team going next year. You know, kind of watch out for them to be a sneaky team. And in Minnesota, like as hyped as I want to get about this team and that gut level or just that fan in me that wants to be like, you know, this is great. Like I'm all in their playoffs. Uh, you know, but I'm sorry. The Wolves have burned me so much. I've said before with the Browns, they're such an inept organization. They were that like that even with Stefanski, with all that stuff, I said that the year uh, before when they had Freddie Kitchens as head coach, I was like, look, I know there's a lot of buzz around them, but until they actually win games on the football field and, you know, until they prove otherwise, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it's the same thing with the Timberwolves. I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you are going to turn this season around. I'm not. I'm sorry. Like, I'm go like I have cautious optimism that, like, maybe you can. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying I'm not going to sit here and say the Wolves are going to be in the playoffs next year until proven otherwise. 
I'm going to assume that the Wolves are not going to make the playoffs, that they're going to find a way to screw this up. I'm sorry. Like, they just have too much of a track record of messing this up that I really can't buy any hype. And it's even harder to buy hype when you have A-Rod who wants to move the team. Now, remember, now I know back when Glenn Taylor said he was going to sell the team, he said that he was going to keep it in Minnesota because he you know, he's, loves the team here and all that kind of stuff, wants to keep the NBA in Minnesota. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, well, whoever buys it is going to want to move the team. The Wolves aren't that profitable of a franchise compared to other markets. Uh, the Target Center got renovated, but it's still an older arena. You know, whoever comes in is probably going to want a new one. Um, you know, and the and the relocation and the money you get from that um, is very lucrative. And in the NBA, which uh, revenue-wise is one of the ascending leagues, um, you know, I mean, it it would make sense to move the team. And so we're like, okay, I'm again that cautious thing of like, I don't believe I don't believe Glenn Taylor when he said. Uh, he was going to make sure that somebody kept the team in Minnesota, unless it was in writing in a contract thing. But the only thing you could work out is that it's like a five-year thing, and then they like hold the team for five years, and then they move it. So I, you know, I again, I, I didn't trust it. A Rod was looking to buy the team. Now I know A Rod's not the one who's putting all the money in there. It's uh, um, I think it's Low or something like that is the last name of the guy. Anyway, he's he's kind of the guy with the pockets. A Rod's kind of the face of it kind of like Derek Jeter buying the Marlins. Um, he didn't put all of his, you know, he's not the one breaking the bank to buy the team. He put a lot of his money into it. Again, nowhere near the amount of money it takes to buy a team, but he gets to be the face of the team. He gets to be the face of the ownership group. And that's what A-Rod is. A-Rod is the face of this ownership group. And immediately, immediately, it was like, there is no way A-Rod is keeping this team in Minnesota. Like, did anybody for a second believe that? And everybody's like, well, Glenn Taylor said they would. And, you know, like, obviously it's going to be fine. Like, the Timberwolves aren't moving. I know there's some people that make the argument. I know Darren Wolfson makes this on Twitter, um, is that, you know, is that expansion might be a better route uh, for the NBA rather than relocation. And I can see an argument for that, um, but also just, you know, I, but also just, I, I don't know. I just, as a, I didn't even, I wasn't alive when the North Stars left. I, I mean, not even close, but it's just that, that cautious thing. I was, I remember growing up as a Vikings fan, the LA Vikings was always a thing. People joked with each other and how true that actually was to happening. Um, you know, I, I don't know the twins, obviously. And again, I was too young to, I was too young. I wasn't paying attention to the twins at that time, but in the early two thousands, um, you know, in 2001 and 2000, you know, and all the contraction talk and the moving to North Carolina and all that kind of stuff, you know, like I, again, um, it, it, it's just, you, you have it. Minnesota is lucky to have four of the professional men's sports, the Lynx, um, they have the Whitecaps. They're lucky to have all of these professional sports in their state. And you even go across the bridge to Wisconsin and they only have two. They only have an NBA and well, they have three, sorry. They have an NBA, they have the Packers, they have the Bucks, they have um they have the Packers, they have the Bucks, they have the Brewers. I don't know why that took me so long to figure that out. But uh, you know, they don't have an NHL franchise, they don't have a WNBA franchise, um, and all that kind of stuff. So the, so the Minnesota is lucky to have that, but I just, I am, I am very not optimistic about the Wolves' future with A-Rod as the owner. 
Now, I think that he could come – I think that this new ownership group could clean up some of the instability that Glenn Taylor uh, had. I definitely think that. But, you know, again, until proven otherwise, we're going to have to see. You know, and the worst part is, is they clean it up and then they move. Um, A-Rod – and I said at the time. So going back to that, I said at the time, A-Rod is not buying this team to keep it in Minnesota. And everybody was like, oh, you know, that's that's, you know, crazy talk. Don't believe that. And then there was a report a week ago from Woj uh, saying I believe it was from Woj saying that um, A-Rod wants to move to Seattle where he played professionally uh, for the Mariners for a few years. And the Supersonics obviously left to become the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, oh, how perfect that would be. You could just move and get like. And I knew it. Like everybody around was like, oh, well, apparently because one of the Wolves other – one of the other people in the current Wolves ownership group um, is trying to cancel the sale and citing one of the reasons is that Glenn Taylor did not include anything to keep the Wolves in Minnesota. And which again, I didn't know how Glenn Taylor was going to be able to pull that off realistically and then the fact – I thought he'd maybe have like a five-year thing or something that they kind of wink and nod at, and then after the five years are up, they start to move. But but I mean I mean just – I mean it would be a perfect Glenn Taylor parting shot. But it just reminds me in, a, in the same kind of light. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. If you're like George Lucas in Star Wars, um, you know, it's like poetry. It rhymes, uh, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's with Andrew Wiggins. It reminds me of Andrew Wiggins. Um, with the Wolves when he, he got the max contract to Glenn Taylor's like I looked Andrew in the eye had a conversation with him I was like now we're gonna give you this money Andrew are you gonna are you gonna work are you gonna live up to the expectation and Andrew Wiggins was like yep and he's like I knew it I looked him in the eyes and of course like Andrew Wiggins has the same facial expression for everything so it's really not that hard like he could have been lying he did not even know it but I don't think he was lying but like to, here's the thing I don't think he was lying because when a guy tells you I'm gonna give you hundred million dollars or plus or however much his max contract was. Yeah, I'm get, Yeah, I'll tell him I'll show up every day at three in the morning. Sign the check; it's fully guaranteed. Sign the contract. And again, Andrew Wiggins was one of the biggest busts of um, the Wolves. Just, I mean, to put it bluntly. So, I, I don't know. I, I just really, I. I don't know what to say anymore because I was right. Like I, that was one I clung to, and I was right on that one. I'm I'm wrong on some takes. You can go back and listen to old episodes of the show, but this one I was dead on right. And this Wolves team, again, they have a budding core and they have some potential. Now I don't believe that they will actually capitalize on that potential until they actually do it, until they actually win games, until they actually win in the postseason. Until they, you know, until they actually get something in the postseason other than an eight seed where they get shellacked as soon as they walk into the building. Um, until that happens, I'm not, I'm not buying anything with the Wolves. But if they were to do it, they need to win now, immediately. They need to have a 2002 Twins season, the contraction Twins, you know, where the Twins were, you know, threatening to get contracted. And then all of a sudden they pulled off. They went to the ALCS. They were on the brink of getting to the World Series. Um, and it re-energized the fan base, and then they went on a run where they won a bunch of division titles in the early 2000s. That got the you know Minnesota to that got the Minnesota government to build to agree to build Target Field, and and all that kind of stuff. So you know I, I you know that that's kind of what the Wolves are going to have to do. 
Now, whether if it means that they're going to have to play hot so that way they can get a new arena built or whatever, but also, um, you know, they're going to have to just win to keep the NBA to be like, look, the, you know, there's too much momentum in the franchise for you to pull it and move. Because if the Wolves keep playing where they do now, where they're missing the playoffs or underachieving, then it's really easy for the ownership group to be like, we need a fresh start. We'll go to Seattle. We'll rebrand as the Supersonics again. And boom, everybody's happy. I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I really don't. So we're going to have to see um, what happens here. The one thing that could keep the Wolves um, in it is the Minnesota Lynx, because if you buy the Wolves, you have to buy the Lynx. That was part of the agreement. Um so moving to the Lynx, they got their first win on Sunday. Um, so now they're 1-4 on the series. They have a weekend series against a very tough uh, Dream team, the uh, the Atlanta Dream. But, uh, you know, I don't, the Dream team, they, they really got to put that on a uniform if they haven't already. Um, you know, Collier, a couple of the other um, player, top players on the team all kind of said, and Cheryl Reeves said that herself, that the team needs to – the team needs to play better. They need to play with more effort, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, um, Reeve has said that a lot, um, you know, and, and you can see it in the last game um, against a very, uh, you know, according to the Star Tribune, Connecticut was the top rebounding team in the league. And that's, they got their first win, you know, over the weekend against Connecticut and they out rebounded them. Um, now it's one game, so it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's just kind of a positive stuff. Like, okay, you, you know, those first few games, you're kind of having to shake off the rust, um, not the start you want. Um, and there's a little bit of effort issues, which isn't great, uh, kind of for the first three games of the season, but maybe, you know, you just kind of need to get that kind of snap back, um, you know, to reality and just kind of see what happens with the season. But, uh, you know, time will tell if it's just a wake up call or if it's just a blip, but they do have their first win. And especially when you start the season, on a losing streak to get that first win just feels a lot better. So for them to now be one and four, they were zero and three last week. Um, you know, they got a tough weekend series against Atlanta. They're, I believe four and two or something along those lines. So again, they have, they're off to a pretty solid start. Um, you know, I, I don't know. That's, I think the biggest thing is effort. And the biggest thing is it's so early in the season to be having these effort issues. And again, I'm, I'm not a diehard Lynx follower, um, for those of you who listen to the podcast, we're just kind of starting to delve into it now. So forgive, you know, forgive me if I have some ignorant takes. Um, we're kind of trying to pick this up as we go along. But um, you know, I think effort issues this early in the season are not ideal. Um, it and Cheryl Reeve's a good head coach. I'm not saying I'm not trying to imply that they're not playing for Cheryl Reeve or that the message has gotten old or or whatever. But uh, you know, that's not a great sign when it's early in the season. And you're having to get after your players about not playing hard. I mean, like, if you're towards the end of the season and it's a long season, you know, um, like take the Twins, for example, it's going to be a long season. And if there's effort issues in September, you know, it's not great and you need to get on top of that. But, like, you can chalk it up to it's a long season. Everybody's, you know, ready to be done with it and move on. Um, when you're only, like, three games into the season and you're having effort issues – that's a big deal. You need to get that under control. And I think Cheryl Reeve will do that. She has, a, you know, the track record, again, with the Wolves, they don't have a track record of fixing things. The Lynx do have a track record of fixing things. So I think it'll get turned around. Um, but it's something to keep an eye on because if this continues and they go through the first month, they go through the first two months of the season, and everybody's concerned about the, the about them playing hard, that is an issue that Reeve is going to have to either figure out or kind of be held to the fire on because 
this is something that could sink your season. Now we talked about it with the Twins. You don't want to sink your season in the first month. And having a rough stretch, having a poor stretch of play in the first month can torpedo your season. So, you know, they need to start rattling off some wins. Not right now, but pretty soon. they got to kind of try and figure this out. Um, so we'll see what happens um, with that so far. I'm going to check uh, my links notes here and make sure that I have uh, kind of everything down pat. I think uh, that's all the notes I have. Um, but, uh, you know... If there's uh, more links, topics you want to cover, any questions uh, you want to ask, any kind of uh, you know ideas, any kind of angles, um, you know, don't be afraid to leave a comment um, on our uh, don't be afraid to leave a comment on our uh, on our Apple Podcast, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, at me on Twitter, bombcj30. Um, you know, and uh, dive into some of these topics. But uh, moving on now, uh, the last thing with the links um, is. The Lynx having success could play a role. I don't doubt that. There is a good chance that if the Lynx do play well, you know, if they go on another title run or something like that, I know they they kind of are rebuilding. It's kind of not the same group that won those rings uh, kind of seven years ago, but it is still a, you know, they still have a couple talented players. They still have Collier. They still have a few other players that they can build around um, to try and kind of turn this thing around. Reeves is obviously as a track record of being a good head coach. Um, and now she's kind of in more of the player developers, kind of the, the player personnel side of things too. see how that goes. But, um, you know, if they have another run of success, it would make it a little bit harder to justify moving the team, especially because Seattle already does have a WNBA franchise. So it would kind of muddy the waters a little bit. Um, now, again, you I don't know what the ownership agreement looks like. I don't know if they could then just turn around and try and sell the links. Um, but Either way, it could it could have a little bit of a thing uh, of an impact. But if the Lynx aren't playing well right now, if this kind of season kind of is a down year, maybe a rebuilding year, kind of a step back, then you know it just gives more ground for them to be like, well, you know, the basketball energy in Minnesota is a little bit down, so let's capitalize and move. Um, we'll find out. Um, and you know, they we'll we'll just see what happens. I I think the Lynx have a better track record of turning it around. I believe that they will get a few wins. They will kind of. They will be – they're not going to be a below-average team in my you know, opinion, but we'll see. Um, moving on now to the Twins, who I was originally going to start the podcast off with them, but then we moved into the Wild, which moved into the Wolves, which moved into the Lynx. So also I just don't really want to talk about the Twins. Who really does at this point? The Twins are sunk. They are sunk. Uh, Fangraphs gives them a 3.6 chance for the playoffs. That is less than the Kansas City Royals. Um, so you, the Detroit Tigers basically like a non-zero chance. They have like 0.1%. They're sunk. Um, but the Twins aren't <laughs> aren't that far behind, and that's concerning. Um, so this season is a failure. I mean, it's not like – it's a failure. It's I know you can chalk it up to injuries. I know the lineup hasn't been healthy. I know Arise has been battling injuries. I know uh, Sano has had injuries. Kepler's had an injury riddled year with COVID and now the hamstring and all this kind of stuff. Um, but and Kirilov spent time on the on the IL. But also, you look at some of the moves they brought in. You look at Simmons. That signing has been meh so far. I was a little bit more warmer to it a few weeks ago, but now I'm kind of now I'm kind of souring on it. Um, really, uh, the bullpen has failed them. Uh, all the the Twins tried to completely rework the bullpen because of losing Trevor May, Sergio Romo, uh, Matt Whistler, and it has been 
awful. Taylor Rogers has not had a great year. Uh, Tyler Duffy really hasn't had a great year. Um, the Twins' best reliever so far, I think, has been Caleb Thielbar, who, you know, is a good, re- I think can be good in spots, but is definitely not the guy you're like, is definitely at this point in the season shouldn't be your best reliever. Um, Alexander Colomay's signing's been disastrous. Hansel Robles' signing hasn't been that great. Um, the Twins' kind of effort to rework the bullpen hasn't turned out well. Uh, they got Sean Anderson in the offseason. Um, in trading Lamont Wade, that he's kind of just been up and down. He's just been a guy. Um, so some of these guys that they, you know, uh, Glenn Sparkman, I think was another kind of minor league guy they brought in hasn't worked out. Luke Farrell has shown some promise. I think he could be, you know, in a normal year, be like, ah, oh, he's a nice kind of guy you found. But, you know, I, I mean, the bullpen has failed them. Uh, the starters haven't been great either. Brios has been fine, but Maeda's taking a step back with injuries and just kind of regression. Um, uh, Michael Pineda has been up and down. Um, Jay Happ's been Jay Happ. Um, and again, with just inconsistent. And I just don't know what else to say. Dobnek hasn't been pitching that great. I'm more or less blaming on the Twins, just kind of shuffling him around um, and not kind of letting him work into his thing. Um, but uh, also Matt Schumacher hasn't been that great. I mean, I could just go down the list. The Twins right now, and this is also due to the lineup, but the lineup hasn't been as bad as the pitching staff has been. The Twins have a negative 28 run differential. That means if you look at the runs that they've given up compared to the runs that they've scored, they are underwater by 28. And if you're somebody, I know there's people on Twitter, Brandon Warren, friend of the podcast, um, who says the Twins can turn it around. And I, and I don't, I think that you can make yourself an argument with that. I'm not saying it's crazy towns, but man, the negative 28 run differential is the first thing I have to point to uh, and just be like, I, I'm just out. I I was with him for the longest time. I had an article just even two weeks ago on zone coverage talking about how the Twins, there is a path to turning this thing around, and it was with playing Baltimore and Kansas City, two series against them, uh, both on the road and at home. So there was a good kind of 13-game stretch where you could, you know, rip off a bunch of wins and, you know, kind of justify throwing yourself back in the race. Uh, they swept Baltimore, which was good. Then they lost a series against Kansas City at home. Not great, but you can turn it around, sweep Baltimore again. They lost two out of three in Baltimore. And then they lost the first game last night in Kansas City off a terrible communication play by Larnick and Celestino. And I know he just came up from basically double A, uh, Celestino. And Larnick hasn't had a lot of time kind of gel. They, these guys haven't had a lot of time gelling together. But it is that is a play, and I've screwed this play up before in high school, but is a play that most high schoolers make 10 times out of 10. And the one time they don't is when the coach yells at them or benches them or does something. Um, It was just an awful, and then the throw, and that was bad enough. The throwing error that allowed Dyson to score. I mean, just poor play all the way around. Everything, everything about it, just nothing about it was good. Um, I, there's just nothing to take away right now. There is no positives. Uh, right now, the defense has all, again, just with that, the defense has been poor all the way around. Simmons, a guy you expected to come in and be well on defense, hasn't been that great. Um, you, you know, you look at, without having Byron Buxton in the outfield, it definitely messes up the outfield defense and just the overall capability of it. I mean, they were putting Williams Ostadio in right field because they just had nobody else on uh, Tuesday night. And it, like, and immediately, there was a ball hit to the gap, and it we paid, and the Twins paid the price for it. 
So, you know, the defense has been down. Josh Donaldson, who a guy who's been fine as a twin, like I know people want to hate on the signing because he hasn't, you know, been putting up MVP numbers, but you know, Josh Donaldson still is a guy that can be productive for the twins, but he's been more productive in the batter's box. His fielding has been uh, concerning um, this year. It hasn't been downright horrible, but he has had, he has had quite a bit of errors that have led to some losses directly. Uh, So it's, Again, just the things that this team, you know, they thought that they turned the corner into pitching. They thought Falvin, you know, finally got, you know, kind of figured out how to at least coach up pitching and at least get it to it could be at a at a level good enough to where the lineup just needed to do its thing and they could hold the fort. And they weren't able to do that. I mean, the Twins bullpen in 2019 was downright dominant. And in 2020, more of the same. Not as good, but still really good. And now it's just all falling apart. Um you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's time to sell and build for 2022, 2023. The pieces are in place. Um, you know, you have Larnick, you have Kirilov, you have Celestino, who again with the air, he'll still be fine. He can still get, you know, he can still get some productivity for you. Like it's, it's a rough start, but again, he kind of got through thrown into the fire. Um, Royce Lewis is going to be coming up soon. I know he just tore his ACL in spring training, but you know, whether he'll be here at the beginning of next season or somewhere in between, he'll be up in 2022. There's no question about it. So they have some young guys. They have Jorge Alcala, who's, you know, still developing, um, still kind of has rough spots here and there, lack of control, um, but still ha- has the makings of a good pitcher if we let him grow into that role. Um, you know, the Twins have some pitching prospects down on the farm, but there is, you know, some stuff you got to figure out. I'm not to the le- – I know some people are getting – warm on the idea of trading Buxton and Brios. Brios, because both of them, I should say, haven't had any interest in signing long-term deals. Uh, the Twins, uh, you know, the Twins haven't gotten a lot of, uh, when Buxton's been healthy, he's been great, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, so you, both of them have a couple of years left on there. Both of them are going to be free agents after 2023, I believe. So you still have two more years of team control. You could get some, you could get some top prospects for him. Um, if you wanted to do like a soft rebuild and kind of flip the nucleus uh, from the Barrios and the Buxtons and the Keplers and the Sonos, if you want to flip that and just give the keys to the Larnick, Kirilov, uh, Lewis kind of train, that could be an option. Um, the Twins have done pretty well um, on kind of the trade deadline and getting players. I mean, heck, uh, Celestino and Jorge Alcala both were came in the Ryan Presley trade in 2018, and the, everybody scratched their heads at the time uh, for the Twins or Twins fans, because they're like, what the heck, what, Ryan Presley in the makings of a good reliever, why did you trade him? And they got a, you know, Ryan Presley has been uh, good for the Astros for the most part, but, uh, you know, they get a young reliever, and then they also got a young center field prospect who is going to have to play center field for the Twins for a little bit. So, uh, you know, uh, they've been able to turn some value, Brian Dozier for Devin Smeltzer and a couple other guys, but mainly Devin Smeltzer was kind of the headliner of that. Um, you know, they've been able to get some value in some of these trades. Um, so I, you know, I, I really got to think that, uh, that Falveen, if they're going to trade somebody, they got to know what they're doing, uh, that they know what they're doing. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on that. It's been in their free agent signings, moreover, um, kind of the way they've handled it. Josh Donaldson, I'm not counting in that because he has signed a, a multi-year deal. The Twins have been shy of handing on multi-year deals because they want to have room to extend Buxton, Barrios, all that kind of stuff. But if they're not going to play ball and they're going to go to the free agent market, then you get some value for them. I mean, it's the Johan Santana thing, and I know that trade blew up. 
Uh, it was terrible, but I mean, it's kind of just what you have to do. The Rays know this. Um, not the Twins aren't on the same level as the Rays, but they used to be. Um, is that you just have to trade some of these guys because they are you can't afford to pay them, and it's not going to do well in the you know it's not going to do you any good to let them walk. Um, you know they did that for David Price, Evan Longoria, Blake Snell. I mean, just a bunch of guys uh, who have some hardware behind them. So again, we'll have to. We'll have to kind of see what this plays out. The one thing I will knock Falvin Levine on is the pitching. I mean, I don't know what's been going on with pitching this season, um, but the moves they made to redo the bullpen, uh, choosing Schumacher over Dobnak uh, to start the season in the rotation, and I again, I just I think that they pushed all the wrong buttons. And normally, you know, the last two seasons they were able to push the right buttons. They were able to figure out how to get the most out of their bullpen arms. They were able to find guys that could contribute. Um, so we'll just have to see. And, and again, the, the, the moves they did on pitching haven't been well, because Falvey and Levine, one came from Texas, which had you Darvish had a, at the time had a pretty good pitching kind of department, but mainly, uh, I believe it was Falvey coming from Cleveland, you know, uh, pitching. I mean, I, do I need to say any more? I mean, they're a pitching factory down there, just churning out pro- pitching prospects, flamethrowers, guys with nasty stuff. Um, and I know that he wasn't obviously the mastermind behind it, but you hope that he kind of knew the process or was able to kind of pick their brains a little bit to know what to do. And that was the thing they hung their hat on was pitching. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, you know, is it Wes Johnson as pitching coach? I don't know. I don't think so. He was able to get that in 19 and 20. I just think it was the guys that they're having to work with just haven't been as good as the ones in the last two years. So we'll see. Um, all right. I think that's all the the ones I've touched on for the Twins. I spent a lot of time talking about the Twins, but they're dead. So I think the last thing you need to do, again, turn it over to the young core, Kirilov, Larnick, Celestino. Um, Heck, give Nick Gordon some playing time. I am getting really sick and tired of seeing Nick Gordon on the Twins roster, but not actually in games uh, other than like maybe a pinch runner. But I don't even think I've seen him doing that. Put him in some more games. I mean, I know that Simmons is back, so Polanco's at second, and Polanco's starting to kind of swing well, so you're not really going to upend Polanco. But, I mean, come on. I mean, he is a first-round pick. I know that the twin, I know that the current regime didn't pick Nick Gordon. He was a Terry Ryan draft pick, but he was still a top-10 pick uh, in the draft. Uh, when he, you know, he was still a guy who, no, no, he wasn't a top prospect, but he was still like a higher end prospect. I mean, the Twins have just done Nick Gordon so dirty in this whole process that, I mean, I know it's a business. And again, I know that they don't really have any ties to him because he's not their prospect, but still, I mean, just give him some playing time and maybe the Twins will trade Simmons at the deadline. And they'll move Polanco back to short, but then Arise should be back by that time. So Arise will be playing second. And Arise does deserve to play second. And Arise has obviously proven that he can hit and have good at-bats at the major league level where Nick Gordon still hasn't yet. But how are you ever going to find out if you don't put him in some games? So I I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to find out. But I think Nick Gordon does need to get some shots. you got to let the young kids play. Let some of these guys take their lumps now. Um, you know, call up some of these pro- – you know, it's good that Larnick and Kirloff – are getting these at-bats right now. Even if the season is lost, you can still put it as a positive in the fact of you they're getting big league at-bats. They are getting, you know, a lot of playing time right now, and it's going to help their development, In especially because Larnick and Kirilov have proven they can hit at the big league level. Um, Celestino will still see. Nick Gordon, we still kind of have to see. 
But uh, especially Kirilov, he's going to be a stud. Nobody's worried about him. Larnik looks like he'll be fine. Um, you know, these guys just have to get the big league at bat. So um, I'm confident that the Twins have a young core. I don't think they need to go in a full rebuild, but they're going to need to go through a soft retooling uh, at the very least. So lastly, we're going to finish up with some Vikings talk here. Um, OTAs continue, um, you know, um, and, you know, just kind of the biggest thing is Daniil Hunter hasn't showed up. Um, but we'll, you know, kind of talk more about that as the thing goes on. Again, we, we mentioned it in last week's podcast. My thoughts really haven't changed from that point. Um, so again, we're kind of just talking, basically kind of hearing and listening to podcasts and listening to beat reporters who have been, you know, who've been at practices and talking to coaches and players. Um, the wide receiver group outside of, uh, Thielen and Jefferson has been very underwhelming. I know the Vikings have been tied to D.D. Westbrook. I think that they, you know, wide receiver played with the Jaguars. Um, as a number three guy, bring him in. What does it do to hurt you? You know, that I know they drafted that Smith Marset in the fifth round, but it looks like he's going to be more of a looks like he's gonna be more of a return specialist more than anything. Um you look at um, you know, kind of some other guys, uh, you know, BC Johnson, Chad Beebe, um, both of those guys, you know, not necessarily um you know, real threats to really not wide receiving. If you're a team, you're not trying to game plan and worry to stop Chad Beebe. You're just not. Or BC Johnson. But bringing in a guy like Dee Westbrook at least puts a respectable veteran into the mix. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're going to break down uh, kind of now talking about uh, Patrick Peterson. Um, his role as a vet leader, kind of, again, following some of this stuff. You know, he's been just kind of basically doing what he's been doing. Uh, he does this thing. It's really good to get a veteran presence in there. And I think Patrick Peterson is the best veteran presence you can have in. Now, again, he's making $10 million. How much of it is, you know, the Vikings expecting he's going to be a good player because you're not paying him $10 plus million to be a mentor. Um, but I think the Vikings believe that they need a veteran to come in that room. Um, they just signed Ty Smith who played for the Titans last season. Um, so another veteran to kind of throw into the mix. It helps uh, kind of with the glad as the Gladney stuff plays out. So, you know, you have Ty Smith, you have Patrick Peterson, you have Gladney, and then Chris Boyd kind of coming in on rotation. It's respectable. It, it'll be respectable if Dancer takes a step forward and if Patrick Peterson and if Zim can get, a, you know, kind of the last bit of juice out of Patrick Peterson's career. Um, but he had an interesting quote. Um, in the Star Tribune, I believe, um, either that or the Pioneer Press, but it was one of the media publications here. And basically he said, uh, you know, appreciated, not tolerated was kind of the summary of it. And I think that's a big thing. I, obviously, Patrick Peterson um, wanted to come to the Vikings because of Mike Zimmer. He reached out to the Vikings first uh, because he wanted to play with Zimmer. He knew Zimmer was a DB guru. He knew that Zimmer can get the most out of corners. Um so I, you know, it, it was just one of those things where it was like, it made too much sense for him. He wanted to, you know, there were, you know, basically in Arizona, the feeling was that like, he's washed up. He can't do anything anymore. He's not the Patrick Peterson that everybody knows. And so he wants to go to Minnesota and it's a one-year deal. So maybe it's just kind of a go to Minnesota as a DB guru, have a really good season and then cash in on like a two or three year deal and then kind of finish out your career. But who knows? Um, but Zimmer obviously is going to be very appreciative of Patrick Peterson. He's a veteran corner. He's, you know, does things the right way. Um, Zimmer will love having kind of a guy who can explain his defense to the rookies. 
Um, I don't know how – I don't think uh, the defense was as similar that he did in Arizona to the one he did in – or the one he's going to be doing now in Minnesota. But just the fact that he'll be able to digest it. He's a veteran. He can come in, help the young guys do the little things right. Zimmer respects that. Zimmer respects kind of – Zimmer, and if you follow the career, no matter what the position, he respects those long-term veterans that, you know, come in, do your job, leave, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know – I think he does feel a lot more appreciated in Minnesota, and there's reason for that because obviously Cliff Kingsbury did not does not care about defense because he's running the Big Twelve in Arizona, um, you know. So, and you know, Bruce, heck, the the head coach that drafted him I think was Ken Wisenhunt. I mean, if we're going back to it, so it's you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of just kind of it's been so long for him, and I feel like his time was up in Arizona. I think he, you know, again, what he said, he had a good time in Arizona, but next chapter of his career is with Minnesota. I think it's good that you have a veteran leader there now um, with that. And the last thing is for the Vikings. I think they kind of learned their lesson. And some the Vikings learned their lessons, uh, Spielman and Zimmer. They've learned them the hard way a lot of the times, but they have learned their lesson. Um, you know, uh, signing uh, Patrick Peterson and then now bringing in Ty Smith, they're – Learning from the mistake of last year of, oh, we need some veteran corners in here. We can't just rely on our young guys. We have to have somebody here. Um, so that's been encouraging to see. And the biggest move, I think, for the Vikings learning their lesson was uh, um, when it came to the offensive line uh, from 16 into 2017. Uh, when you look at how bad the offensive line played, and they're like, oh, maybe we need to completely reinvest in this thing. They brought in Riley Reef and Mike Remmers. I know Mike Remmers wasn't that good, but Riley Reef was a good signing. Um, drafted Pat Elfline, and they kind of held it together to you know to make an NFC title game run. And another reason of the title C- NFC title game run was Case Keenum, who the Vikings brought in the year before because when Teddy Bridgewater went down, their backup option was Sean Hill, who was never going to be able to play any games. So I uh, barely played through one game, and then I think went on IR. So they had to trade a first-round pick to get Sam Bradford. Um, and they learned their lesson. They're like, oh, we need a backup QB who can actually come in and play games. Um, and Sean Hill was basically there to mentor Teddy Bridgewater. But uh, they were like, oh, we need somebody who's going to come in and play games, can actually play games if Teddy got hurt. And uh, they brought in Case Keenum. Sam Bradford, glass knees, went down. And uh, Case Keenum went in, and you know everybody knows the story. So the Vikings do learn their lesson. Um, and kind of figure things out and be like, okay, we can't do that. We have to fix that. We can't do that again. We can't get cute on this again. Um, so, you know, that's encouraging to see. But you know who didn't learn their lesson? You know who didn't? Was uh, the Love Boat guys. Uh, Robert Griffith um, and uh, a couple other guys. Uh, uh, Phil, not, uh, Bryant McKinney um, and one other guy um, are doing the Love Boat too. Uh, they're not calling it that, but they're doing a boat ride on Lake Minnetonka because they didn't learn their lesson. Um, that boat rides on Lake Minnetonka from Vikings players don't typically go well. Um, so that's something that's happening again. So in the age of reboots and nostalgia and bringing things back, why not bring the love boat back? So I guess that's a thing. Fred Smoot was not going to be there. Um, at least it doesn't say it. But, uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe it'll be a surprise guest appearance. I, I don't know. It's uh, I will not be buying a ticket. I will tell you that much. Um, and you guys shouldn't be either. Um, and it, it, obviously it's not going to be the second love boat. Like that's not what the intention is. They're trying to get a cash grab, but still the self-awareness of these people, my goodness, 
uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know what other way to finish up the podcast other than any of that. Don't do the love boat again. Uh, it's that simple. All right. We'll be back here next week. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.